Are we ready? Uh, well, the rest of you probably are anxiously awaiting the phenology show. I guess I'll have to buck up. <laughs> All right. I'm going to give you a few seconds to buck up. All right. It's time for the Phenology Show. Phenology is the rhythmic biological nature of events as they relate to climate. And I want to start off by reminding you that if you are interested in phenology, the 10th Phenology Gathering is going to be held March 1st through March 3rd at Long Lake Conservation Center in Palisade, Minnesota. If you are interested, you can go to kaxe.org slash phenology workshop and you can register there for the uh, weekend. There are one and a half CEUs for teachers if you're interested. Uh, you need to register by Thursday the 15th if you are if you have dietary restrictions. So if you are coming and you're a vegan or a vegetarian and you need to have uh, that specified, you need to get that registration in by this Thursday. If you are like me and you will, um, you are on a seafood diet, as in I see food, I eat food, uh, you can register all the way up until the 28th of February. So you've got plenty of time if you don't have restrictions for your diet. That is kaxe.org slash phenology workshop, and you can register there. I mentioned earlier that there were uh, a large flock or several large flocks of waxwings in the Bemidji area. Pete McDonald sent me a note saying he saw a very large flock of small dark birds Never got quite close enough to identify them, but several people mentioned that there were huge flocks of waxwings in Bemidji last week. So if you were lucky enough to run into them, uh, consider yourself uh, among the few because that many, and then one of the estimates was five to 6,000. The interesting thing about waxwings, if you see them, if even if you're too far away to make out that they are waxwings, if you watch the flight of their flock, they are like airplanes coming into an airport. Uh, Given the choice, any pilot will tell you it's much easier to land into the wind. And that's what waxwings do. They circle around, they fly around, and at the last second, if they're going to come into a tree and land... They circle around and they come into the wind and land in the tree. And that is typical of waxwings. Uh, so check that out while you're out there watching them. Um, you may recall uh, some folks earlier, some of the children had uh, found a bird's nest that had some plastic in it. And they were uh, curious about what sort of bird might make a a nest with uh, using plastic, and I mentioned the great crested flycatcher. I got a nice note from Julie, who lives in the Cook area, and she said uh, it reminded. She said the 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 bird's nest with plastic, and it reminded me of an article I read back in August. It was in Science and Health section of the Star Tribune, August thirteenth, twenty twenty three. I'm not sure if you can go back and find it. 
very interesting, speaks of all the different man-made items, birds and other wild animals repurposed for nests and other things. A fun twist to this was that some birds are pulling off strips of anti-bird strips used on buildings to keep the birds off and using them for their nests. <laughs> I love that part. Yeah, they left me this nice material for my nest. How cool is that? And speaking of birds' nests, and uh, neither of these nests had any plastic in it that I could see, but this past week on uh, Wednesday last week on the 7th, um, the bald eagles came back to the nest and spent the better part of the afternoon refurbishing the nest, bringing in sticks, and uh, watch, I watched them go out into the tamaracks and snap off branches and bring the branches back to the nest, and uh, they just were were bringing it back to uh, to I don't know to their uh, to their fine state and. Uh, and just getting it ready for spring, there'll be uh, oh roughly another month. It's usually around the middle of March that they return and begin to uh, to start nesting. In fact, my records show that March eighth is about the first time that I begin to see them back on the nest. So it'll be uh, roughly a month, a little bit less maybe, um, before the eagles show up back at their nest. Uh, with the purpose of laying eggs and getting ready for uh, getting ready for their um, their family obligations, so I'll be watching that. But it was pretty exciting to watch them come and go from the nest last Wednesday. Uh, I I was pretty thrilled by that. And then uh, my second experience with the nests came on Friday when I was out for a walk and uh, I had gone back into the tree farm and I knew that there was some um, rattlesnake plantain, which is a a small orchid. Uh, This one happens to be tessellated rattlesnake plantain, but I I knew where it was and the snow had all melted. There was only a tiny dusting of snow on top of the leaves and pine needles. And I was, I was bent over raking away the pine needles looking for these leaves of the plant of the rattlesnake plantain, which remain green throughout the winter. They're evergreens. So I was looking for the leaves and, and not finding them by the way. But while I was doing this, a raven flew kind of past me and I caught sight of it and it had a fairly large stick in its mouth. And within about 50 feet of me, it landed in a tree and placed that stick into the nest that that raven and its mate were now building, a brand new nest. And I am always thrilled to find raven's nests. And once I discovered this nest, uh, well, once they discovered me, they saw me down below, apparently, and uh, they began this conversation. Actually, the raven placed the stick in the nest, spent some time on the nest, and then swooped out of the nest and flew off. And that was the point that I think it saw me. And boy, it started a real conversation between the two of them. And I got out of there as quickly as I could because I did not want to be responsible for chasing them off from that nesting site. Finding a raven's nest is really difficult. They're very secretive about it. And uh, it's not often that any of us get a chance to find a raven's nest. And here they were building one right in front of me. 
So I was really, really excited, and I've been checking it ever since, since last Wednesday, and I perceive an increase in mass. When I first looked at the nest, you could see through the heavy sticks that they were using for the base, and you could see daylight through them. And the last time I looked, which was yesterday, the mass was not was sufficient that I could not see daylight through it. Um, but I don't I don't approach the area. I only walk by on my driveway and and look in from afar. I don't want to startle them or scare them off or make them think that uh, that that's a bad spot to be nesting. So I've been watching from afar, and I have my fingers crossed that they'll continue to develop that nest and become uh, parents there. It's always exciting for me to have the ravens raising a family where I can kind of keep an eye on them and hear them and, and watch them and see what they're doing. So get outside if you get a chance and uh, watch for ravens to be carrying sticks around. This is their time of year. They're going to be out looking to make... Uh, make a nest for themselves somewhere they'll they'll use last year's nest but they will also uh, they will also start a new nest from time to time so maybe you'll get lucky as I did and get a chance to watch the whole process take place last Thursday was the last day above freezing we had a high on Thursday of 40 I think 48 at my house and I noticed that the red elderberry in my um, in my yard, right next to my sauna, had broken three buds. So three of its buds opened up. The leaf tendrils began to come out, and you could see the flower structure underneath. And I can only attribute that to the fact that it's in a kind of a protected area. It gets a lot of sun. Uh, not, not full sun, but pretty darn close with, uh, with no leaves on the surrounding trees and with the sauna right there reflecting heat and light back toward the plant. I think it, uh, it forced it into a kind of a, uh, I'll give it a shot. And, uh, unfortunately for the red elderberry, um, yesterday when I looked, those three buds were all frozen and, uh, not likely to, uh, to develop well they will not develop into flowers but the plant only sacrificed three buds and it has hundreds so it will have plenty of opportunities to uh, replace those buds later on with others that will come out and flower so uh, one other event that took place on the 8th of january uh, in 2006 i think it was dallas hudson my good friend and a excellent uh, phenologist in the Akeley area reported that uh, the red elderberry next to his house had uh, had also burst buds. So uh, not unheard of. And uh, the red elderberry, you know, it's it can throw a few buds and and give it take a chance. Uh, it doesn't know what the weather's going to be, but if it gets warm like that, it'll say, "Hey, why not? What's what's the risk? Only two or three buds out of several hundred. It's not going to hurt me." The other plant that I'm seeing more and more buds on are the aspens, the trembling aspens. If you are, um, if you live around trembling aspens, if you have aspens in your yard, now's a good chance to go out with your binoculars and take a close look. They're difficult to see. These flowers are like a pussy willow. 
They're just a small fuzzy bud and they're going to emerge. The bud casings will crack and you'll see these little fuzzy buds. They're kind of grayish white. Um, I usually try to find a way to isolate the tree against a dark background. So if there's some white spruce growing nearby or a white pine or a Norway pine or something that I can put as a background between me and the buds, then I can actually see them much easier than I can when I'm just looking with binoculars up into the, up into the white sky. It's not as easy to find them that way. But uh, I suspect that there will be aspens that are beginning to break bud around you. And speaking of aspens breaking bud, uh, one of their close cousins, the willow, I have a pussy willow, a Salix discolor, uh, that is, um, I have two big old bushes, one male and one female, and they're about 30 feet apart, and I watch them regularly in my um, phenology excursions. And the male began to flower this past week, uh, there are plenty of willows that begin to flower right after leaf drop in the fall. Not all of them, but there are enough around that I have seen several. I have some on my property that do that. But this time of year, in February, this is when the early buds of the willows begin to come out. And it will increase through February and into March. And by, oh, mid-April, there will be uh, all of the willows will have their flowers out. And, uh, and by mid-April, probably around the 15th or 20th of the month of April, those flowers will begin to develop sexual characteristics. The male flowers will get yellow and full of pollen and the female flowers will be green or red or yellow, whatever color they happen to be based on the species, and those flowers will be receptive to pollen then. But all of that will occur in April, and that's not influenced by the fact that they're breaking bud now. Uh, like the aspens, these willows are going to, they'll the buds will come out. You'll see these white furry buds on them, the pussy willows. They will stay at that undeveloped state that is just open with a little bit of fuzz sticking out for weeks and weeks and weeks and and never change but they are going to be ready when warm weather strikes and if you are a careful observer you will note that those plants that flower early for the most part the willows and the aspens uh, they put out big fuzzy buds and those fuzzy buds are just like uh, you know that hair absorbs heat and and holds that heat within the bud and helps the bud to develop at an earlier stage uh, at an earlier time of the year than would be characteristic for those buds that are not furry like the red elderberry um speaking of buds uh i was looking at speckled alder and speckled alders typically grow on the fringes of wetlands so the, the thicket of brush that you see around the edge of a wetland is oftentimes speckled alder. And if you've been watching it all winter, it's been kind of a grayish, deep gray with a tinge of red to it. If you're watching it now, that red is going to start becoming more and more intense because the male flowers on the speckled alders, the male catkins, which are mm, an inch, an inch and a quarter long right now, uh, they spent most of the winter being sort of a deep burgundy. 
But as they begin to get more and more sunlight, that is, as there is a steeper sun angle, the sun gets higher in the sky and it stays up longer, that extra sun begins to affect those flowers. And those flowers are going to start showing a shift from deep purple to more reddish. And it's going to bring some color to those speckled alders. So if you're looking at those alders every day, keep an eye on them as you drive. You'll see them, as I said, they're mostly along the edges of wetlands. And they're going to get progressively more intensely deep red. And it's not it's not a bright red like a fire engine or like the red osier dogwood. But the, the tendency of the speckled alders is going to be toward the red end of the spectrum. And that's going to begin to happen in the next uh, couple of weeks for sure. So be checking that out as well. I uh, went for a long walk yesterday, and uh, it was looking at the just the ground in general, uh, the, the uh, different things that were going on, and uh, lots of just dusting of snow. And in some areas, no snow at all. Where there was snow, where snow had accumulated in open areas where it was uh, sort of protected, uh, maybe uh, an area where the snow was not intercepted by trees, but allowed to fall straight to the ground. And then if those areas happen to be shaded, uh, that snow remains and that snow has a crust on it right now that is absolutely impervious to a guy my size. Now I have size 12 feet, so I have some surface area down there, but I weigh close to 200 pounds and I wasn't breaking through. So I would I would check out the the snow, if you want to. The other thing I noticed in the snow, and I don't know why I haven't noticed this before or why it hadn't occurred to me before, but the roughed grouse tracks across the snow look just like the stitching on a baseball. <laughs> if, you're, if you're familiar with a baseball and the stitching that, that closes the, the, the two flaps of leather together, when you go out walking, look for these tracks that are going to that really, they really reminded me of the stitching on a baseball. So I hope you'll get out and enjoy that as well. The other thing I noticed was that the princess pine, the round, what do they call it? The round, uh, oh, again, round branched ground pine. Whew, what a mouthful. It's the princess pine. It's one of those lycopodiums. Um, it is, uh, it is just, there were areas of it as I was walking that were just thick with it, just a, a patch like like a tiny little forest, a miniature forest, five or six inches tall above the leaf litter. Those areas where there was leaf litter, uh, there were there were borders. I mean, there, it was like the plant went so far, and then either the moisture changed or some nutrient load in the in the soil changed. I don't know what, but there were these patches of really thick ground pine and then leaf litter with no ground pine. And it was really quite interesting looking at that and trying to figure out what might be the limiting factor there for the ground pine for the lycopodium. So I had a pretty darn nice time out there with that hike. It was a lot of things going on. Um, Saw some mink tracks, saw coyote tracks. Speaking of coyotes, um, my dog is in estrus right now. I live way out in the woods, so I don't worry about her uh, running into another dog. But uh, 
and and I keep her pretty close. But the other night there were more than two coyotes right outside my door, and they were howling right in my yard. I was astonished. I was awakened from a sound sleep at four thirty in the morning, and after I processed the whole thing, I thought, hmm. I wonder if they're out there asking if Mila can come out and play. Uh, I'm not sure why they were right there in the yard, but they were close. They sounded like they were in my back pocket. So, Well, that's the Phenology Show for this week. Keep your eyes open. There's lots of stuff that are happening right now and more on the way. So be alert and uh, get outside and check things out. You can check out KEXE.org for more phonology or sign up for that Season Watch newsletter written by our phonology coordinator, Charlie Mitchell. Charlie's going to be joining us in a few minutes to finish off the phonology reports for today and talk about some of the upcoming phonology workshops between Back to Basics this weekend with Happy Dancing Turtle and the upcoming phonology Conference. Conference yes. at Long Lake Conservation Center. So stay right. tuned for that. You can find it all at kexe.org.